All human thought, all science, all religion is the holding of a camera to the light of the universe. Because we see to get the stars, or to be chosen them because we are human, this pointless reading. Do the stars were right, they could plunge from the world to the world and the sky. But when the stars were wrong, they could not live. But although they no longer lived, they would never really die. When the universe is vast and inexplicable, and you are weak and insignificant, then you know you're playing Call of Cthulhu. This is an actual play of Call of Cthulhu 7th edition, featuring adult themes and horror. Listener discretion is advised. Find our published scenarios at starsareright.com or contact us for help unleashing your own twisted tales upon an unsuspecting world. And now, settle in, dear listener. Intrigue, high adventure, and cosmic horror await when the stars are right. And welcome, and listeners, to episode three of our campaign based on the setting book Berlin, the Wicked City, written by David Larkins and with Mike Mason and Lynn Hardy, and published by Chaosium. We're currently playing The Devil Eats Flies. Who are you playing, and how are you today? How? I'm playing Moritz Baum, and I absolutely did not prepare a joke for this episode. Braden. Hey, I'm playing Sadina Andrasov, and I hope we beat this scenario so we can all be wieners. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> oh my god. That is, that is obscure. I love it. Uh, Lydia. Hi, I'm playing Andreas Vogel, and I am wickedly excited to be in Berlin. Nice, nice. nice. <laughs> Jelly. Hi, I'm playing Max Oswald, and I can't wait to Berlin. I mean, begin. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Fedra, you keep it for the day, and get ready for some bad romances. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. Oh no. <laughs> Brayden, tell us what happened last time. Moritz and Sadie dedicate their time to a struggling neighbourhood, distributing food and providing care to those in need. Their attention is suddenly grabbed by a man in his late fifties with a shabby appearance and piercing, unhealthy eyes, who is leading a young red-haired girl into an alleyway. This scene resonates with Moritz, who has dreamed of this very girl, with her perched on a windowsill as he smokes a cigarette in bed. Sadie then shares a harrowing experience about encountering this man before. He nearly took her life. Moritz recalls having to protect Sadie and her daughter by hiding them and faking their death. Desperate to confront the man and ensure the girl's safety, Moritz and Sadie scour the area for a way to defend themselves and manage to acquire a cane from a disabled elderly gentleman, which they intend to use to protect the girl and themselves. As they follow the man down the alley, he disappears from view, but they notice an apartment door closing. Curiosity leads them inside, and in order to maintain their cover, Moritz and Sadie pretend to be a couple. They inquire about the man's whereabouts from the pair walking down the stairs, but the couple is hesitant to share information. As they continue upwards, they stumble upon a man crouched in front of a door, peering through a peephole. Faint sounds of screams echo from behind the door, and the man motions to someone nearby to call the police. 
Fueled by a desire to rescue the girl within, Moritz begins kicking the door with great force, but his foot ends up breaking through, leaving him trapped. Miraculously, the screaming ceases just as police arrive on the scene, who swiftly apprehend the man, identified as Grossman. Sadie shields her face from him as police take him away to face justice. Sadie provides a detailed statement to the police about her experiences with Grossman. With the knowledge that this dangerous man is now behind bars, Moritz and Sadie can finally rest a little easier, knowing the neighborhood is safer without him roaming the streets. I have some great news, everyone, because in this first episode of The Devil It Flies, but the third episode of the entire campaign we're doing, the first thing you get to do is roll luck. Oh my god, oh, she did it! Wow. Yes. It's been it's two happening. years, it's finally happening! But in the book it says, everyone rolls luck! So, we Damn. didn't get to forget this time. So you don't have luck, I thought you did. Hang on, we have luck from our preludes! Wait, yeah, <laughs> we have luck already. Yeah, no, you get to roll luck, not like... Oh, ah. damn, I take back all the good things I said. I've just remembered that my luck is 30. <laughs> <laughs> well, did we uh, roll luck, Jilly? Because I don't have luck on my sheet. No, we didn't roll luck. <laughs> okay, you didn't. Ah. <laughs> Please, someone get lower than 30. I don't want to be the party luck. Why do you want your like life to be harder as a collective just so that someone's worse than you? I just want it not to be my fault. <laughs> <laughs> you failed this prisoner's dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me how to roll luck again. 3d6 times 5. 45. Ooh. Respectable. So, 3d6 times 5, I've got two sixes and a 3, which is 15 times 5, which is 75, is that right? Whoa. Wow, yeah. Max is, wow. Yeah, everyone else is like 50, 45, and 35, and then we have a 70. Mm. To be Beautiful. fair, I'm really going to need that with my sanity. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have everything. <laughs> okay. Given how insane you went in the prelude, yeah, mm. totally. And uh, if you have luck now, please roll it and tell me if you passed. Uh, okay. Fail. No, 88. Also fail, 51. I passed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you wiped that smug smile off your face. <laughs> Did it come through? <laughs> yeah, I can hear it. This might be relevant much later on in the scenario. Mmm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Say, Dina, you had the worst fail, didn't you? I sure did. Cool. Okay. Oh, Brayden. <laughs> Sweet Brayden. Just Sean beaming it. I mean, could yeah. I heal you now so we get out of the way? And then, and then we can start over. Um, it will hurt less if you do it now. <laughs> so, let's see. Say Dina. Yes. And Max. Yes. You both wake up to a dream this morning of Wednesday, June 21st, 1922. And it's the same dream, and it probably means different things for both of you. So 
you dream of a bed with this young woman with blonde hair and blue eyes on top of it. You get the sense that she's a prostitute and she lies there bound and gagged in a dingy apartment that brings back some bad memories for you, Sadina, but not for mm. you, Max. She is sweaty and unconscious and you look down and you see your hand, your gore-covered hand that is not your own hand, but a middle-aged man's with hair and calluses and the bed sheets partially covering the woman are soaked with blood. Again, this means much more to you, Sadina, than it means to Max. But uh, both of you roll me sanity. Start with a sanity roll, yay. <laughs> oh, joy. Hmm. Oh, 11 versus 46. That is a one sanity loss. I got an extreme success. One for you too. Okay. And uh, we skip forward a bit in time. It is now lunchtime. Wednesday, June 21st, 1922. And you have all, all four of you, agreed to meet at the Romances Cafe on Auguste Victoria Platz. Your normal haunt is under repair for the next few days, so you're having your usual Wednesday lunch somewhere nearby. It's only a few squares away. The cafe, same as uh, Dear Club Maximal, is in the Kudam district. It's short for Kurfustendam, which is known for its high-end shopping and expensive nightlife. You can find it all here. Cabarets featuring cross-dressing performers, cafes catering to lesbian clientele, bars in the American style, and pleasure palaces. The Kudam is where most of the semi-professional half-silk prostitutes come after they knock off their day shifts and where the boot girls stand outside expensive boutiques offering their own version of merchandise. Further east are the tea girls who are well-dressed mother-daughter duos who are known to have all the gossip. The Platz itself showcases the juxtaposition of Berlin's casually reverent attitude towards piety and tradition. Facing each other across this bustling neon-lit square are the stately edifice of the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church and the shamelessly exploitive Heaven and Hell Club. The cafe itself, the Romances Cafe, is located on the ground floor of the Romances House, a four-story Italianate structure with two square bell towers. The Romances is the place to see and be seen by the city's leading lights in the artistic and intellectual communities. Here may be found renowned writers and critics, acclaimed artists and theatrical impresarios, cinema directors and movie stars and award-winning journalists. In addition, those just starting out a career in this field can be found here, hoping to get some face time with such influential personages as frequent the café. It is a fine, fine summer in Berlin and the warm breeze moves through the laughing boughs of the trees in the nearby zoological garden. The sidewalks are full of the usual mix of shoppers and tourists. A fashionable mother and daughter pair of tea girls, not far from their home stomping grounds of Taunusstrasse, relax across the street, testing the waters of the noontime crowd of potential customers. So this is the scene that we've set, and you are all 
entering Romance's Café. As you're entering, can you tell us a little bit about what others see when they look at your character with their eyes? And only that sense of, of the body, of the eyes. So not what they see with their hearts. <laughs> not what they see with their mind's eye or with their nose. And uh, perhaps you can tell us about your face, your hair, what you're wearing, your length, your width, and any other characteristics you might deem appropriate for someone to your see radius. with their eyes when, this, when gazing. <laughs> <laughs> the circumference of your head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, take it away, Andreas. Okay, Andreas is a young man. He is slightly built. Uh, he looks quite delicate, but he really isn't. Uh, he's got light brown hair, large blue-gray eyes. He, he's often wearing quite a distracted expression he, he tends towards looking a bit melancholy uh, he's probably dressed fairly smartly he is a professional his day job is he's a pharmacist so you can tell that he's dressed for work lovely max um, max has got a fairly androgynous look um, they use any pronouns which you can tell just by looking at them um, they don't have any facial hair, but they present masculine. Um, they've got their hair kind of slicked back. They dress very, very fashionably. Um, they have their shirt buttoned up because they wear a binder underneath it. Um, and they they walk around like they own the place. Awesome. Sadina. So... Sedina is a tall and quite frail-looking uh, woman. She's got Russian and Mongolian ancestry, and she's aging quite gracefully. Uh, she looks like she's in her mid-40s, but her face appears to be a bit younger. While out in public, she dresses super inconspicuously with the help of Max, so she'd be wearing something quite basic, I think, not to stand out. And Moritz? Moritz Baum, he's in his mid-40s, um, but aging rather well. He's got delicate features. He's quite a, a short, thin man, a petite man, very nicely dressed. Um, he's got a pocket square and uh, sort of a, a shiny silken neckcloth, and he is smoking a cigarette in a delicate little plastic holder. Lovely. You enter the cafe and find the usual mix of artists and intellectuals. You overhear two men talking about matters beyond your comprehension. One intelligent looking man with unkempt curly hair and a moustache, another charming short man with a cane and a bowler hat. I didn't get the chance to properly congratulate you, Albert, on your achievement. A Nobel Prize? What about that? I read your theory and it's truly impressive, uh, he replies. My friend, your reporting work on the Eastern Front is only exceeded by your songwriting. And the man with the curly hair and the moustache starts singing a little song. General, General, weiges nur nicht noch einmal, es schreien die Toten. Duncan de Rotten! Ha 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 ha! And they both laugh. <laughs> um, that was beautiful. <laughs> feel yeah, free to fun. 
give me a no role or any other relevant <laughs> skill to um, physics or journalism to uh, recognize either of these people. Can I roll music to join in with a song? <laughs> do I know it? If you want to roll music to, to see if you know the song, then you can do that as well. Yes, please. <laughs> can I roll out craft piano for that to see if it's one of the hits? I don't know if it's piano based, but I guess you can generalize piano to I'm a musician. Music. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Hard success. Mm. That's a hard success on piano. Also a hard success. Extreme success. Oh my goodness. Oh. Well, you're all, you know, you like this cafe. You like you like knowing who the intellectuals are, even if that's not necessarily you. Um, and you <laughs> definitely instantly recognize uh, Albert Einstein. And with hard successes or extreme successes, the theory of relativity, which might not fully makes sense to you, but it seems very cool. And uh, Kurt Tukolsky, a journalist and satirist uh, that reported on the Eastern Front, who also happens to be a songwriter. And you, Moritz, recognize the song as Die Rotten Melodie, which is a very well-known song by that man. Nice. You find a seat in a, in a lovely booth, you all sit together, you order, you know, glasses full of boiled eggs or whatever you want to order for lunch. <laughs> you have to explain these obscure references. This is a thing, a thing that happened. <laughs> Babylon Berlin, season three. Glasses of eggs. Can, can Sadie's kidney cope with glasses of boiled eggs? <laughs> oh, God. And <laughs> um, a shot glass full little quail eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, newspaper bringers of this cafe, which was a thing, letting everyone know the day's headline, i.e. the infamous cannibal murderer Karl Grossman has cheated justice by hanging himself in his jail cell and give you the paper yourselves. Not that you need it, because anyone who was living in Berlin in 1921 recalls the sensational Grossman case. But I have a handout for you in uh, the newspaper. And of course, for Sadie and Moritz, this means even more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who would like to read handout one? The newspaper. Someone who knows German, perhaps. Do in character, not in real life. I was going to say, is that German, <laughs> the handout? Surely we all speak German. <laughs> I mean, you know, some of you better than others, so you're welcome to figure out who in character would read for everyone else. Well, I think if Moritz sees the headline, then he would snatch it away from and, and sort of give Sadie a, um, a meaningful look mm. and say, do, do you want to know what has happened to that bastard? Yes, I, I, I think I do. All right, brace yourself. Okay, he sort of rustles the paper into position, clears his throat. <clears throat> I don't know whether you'd consider this good news or bad news, but here goes. Karl Grossmann found dead in his cell. Who among our readers will not shudder at the memory of the infamous and outrageous acts of the beast of the Silesian station, Karl Grossmann, Arrested ten months ago in his flat at Langerstrasse 8889, the fiend was found with the body of a murdered woman. 
a destitute thing, lured into the spider's lair with promises of cash and food. Instead, she met her death, but not before her screams and thrashing attracted the notice of the building's neighbors. Police found the poor creature in Grossman's kitchen, stripped naked and trussed up like a hog for butchering. Indeed, Inspector Krieg of the criminal police noted extensive apparatus for meat processing and sausage making in Grossman's apartment. The devil Carl claimed that this was merely owing to his career as a butcher, but persistent rumors claim otherwise. His neighbors recall that during the starving days of 1917 to 18, Grossman seemed to do quite well for himself selling homemade sausages at the Silesian station. Oh my god. At the time, there was much speculation as to where he procured his meat, but nowadays most shudder to contemplate the question. Inspector Krieg found evidence in the form of bloodstains sufficient for the courts to charge Grossman with two other lust murders, and the perverted criminal, who spent 14 years in jail prior to the war on charges of illicit activities with children, went on trial four days ago. Today, the judge was expected to announce a guilty verdict in the matter of three murders committed at Grossman's hands, but the reprobate was found hanging from his bedsheet inside his jail cell this very morning. Huh. And I was so looking forward to having currywurst for my lunch. It's enough to make anyone lose their appetite. Yeah. He died far too soon. He deserved to rot for much longer before dying. I can't believe they left that fiend bedsheets to make an easy escape with. How stupid can you be? I even had a dream about him last night. You did? Yeah. I was him. I was on a bed. I would know those fingers anywhere. Oh, Sedina, not again. And the hands. This... Someone was dead in front of me. At least it's, it's in, come to an end now, though. It was just a dream, Sadie. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. You also all feel like... I mean, not all of you, Sadina, you feel like the chance is more close to 100%, but you'll feel like there's a chance that you might have eaten some of the specific sausages provided by him mm. because he was supplying a lot of this area. Oh boy. So you don't feel, you, yeah, you don't feel safe from it. You think there's a chance you have actually also consumed some of his victims. And Sadina, you know that you almost 100% have... Yes. <laughs> Weren't we literally handing out sausages in our prelude to the hungry of the area? Indeed. Oh, no. no. We <laughs> oh, no. Is that enough for a sanity roll? <laughs> if you'd like one, I won't say no. I kind of do. <laughs> I guess that also traumatizes me. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> uh, extreme success. Tasty. <laughs> Oh, you're up for it. I, on the other hand, failed horribly. I'll say 1, 1, D3. Okay. Okay. Yep. Very fair. Uh, what about the other two? That's two. Are you concerned by your potential sausage consumption that is actually human flesh? Quite quite probably, I would think. It's, it's not as personal as it is for the other two, I would imagine, but... I think vegetarianism is certainly crossing Andres's <laughs> mind at this point. Yeah, absolutely the same for Max. Horrifying. And a failed sanity roll. So, one loss. Mm. Okay. 
Oh, I've only got 39 to start with, and ah, uh, yes, that was a fail. So 1d3. Come on, stand strong. Oh, oh dear. God. Go. <laughs> oh no, it was a three. Oh no. So we've lost one, two, and three. Oh hey, that's nice. In mm. order. Although there's a... Uh... I mean, this isn't a, a great circumstance. At least we can all find comfort in knowing that this man is dead now. Well, I can, at least. <laughs> this place seems to be breeding men like him. I don't know where they all come from. You know, Sadie, I think I had the same dream last night. I was almost relieved to find myself not below the yellow sky, but uh, this was... This was pretty awful. You you dreamt the same thing? It's hard to say. I, I didn't see what you saw, but y yeah, a, a woman bound on a bed, blood, um, a hand that was not my own. Bloodstained sheets. Yes. That's what you saw? Yeah, yeah, I saw that as well. You must have both seen the same newsreel at the cinema or something. Th th that is impossible. You, you can't have the same dream, surely. It could be a coincidence, but uh, other things could be at play. I wouldn't be so sure. We've shared dreams before, after all. I can't explain it, but it's true. Well, let's just hope this... Um, and she'll point at the headline, is the... Last we'll be seeing or hearing of uh, Carl again. It's an end to him one way or another. Here, here. I've quite lost my appetite, but I think this calls for a drink. Lunchtime drink. Very mm -hmm. well said. Absolutely. Okay. As you have your drinks and chat about anything else besides that paper, the air of bohemian comfort is disturbed by the arrival of a dozen men and adolescent boys. They are smartly dressed in custom dark grey military-style uniforms. Some bear military medals on their breast and a few the scars of war as well. An eye patch here, pockmarked mustard gas scars there, or wear a large pewter badge pinned to their left sleeve depicting a Viking longship cutting across the waves with the name Erhard behind it. Everyone can roll me a no-roll to see if you recognize the name on the badge. Erhard, eh? Hmm. Nope, fail. Bad success. Normal success. Yay, I'm a fail. So, Sadie and Moritz. You are somehow more involved in politics, I guess, <laughs> in some ways. And <laughs> you know the name Hermann Erhardt. He was one of the most prominent leaders of the Kapputsch in 1920. And as a staunch communist, Moritz knows that um, Erhardt is one of these horrible right-wing pro-empire chappies who rose to prominence in all sorts of anti-worker actions and assassinations and various political argy-bargy. So he frowns deeply at these uh, youths 
and uh, takes a, a stiff drink. It's not just you, hisses and jeers erupt here and there within the cafe. The eldest of the uniformed men, a riding whip tucked under one arm, merely salutes courteously. Some of the youth begin singing a jaunty tune to the melody of the song Let Us Be Glad and Cheerful, but their happy melody belies the shocking lyrical content which predicts the imminent return of the Kaiser and calls for violence against Chancellor Joseph Werth and Foreign Minister Walter Atnau. The song concludes with a sickening couplet, Knock off Walter Atnau, the godforsaken Jewish sow. As they sing, the young men move among the cafe patrons, sitting on the terrace, powering through as if they were still on the promenade, intentionally bumping tables, sending flower vases toppling and drinks sloshing out of cups. I have a little picture for you. There's one guy in particular that is a bit terrifying. Oh no, two of them. If you look at this image in the mural. <laughs> they have hoover mouths, I don't know what that is about. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. what the heck? <gasps> that is creepy. It's Titans begin getting sucked into their <laughs> walls. Yeah. I don't know what this is supposed to represent, but it's not in the description. One of the men, whose handsome features are spoiled by, by his undisguised sneer, stops at the table where you are sitting. Reaching into his pocket, he produces a piece of chalk and draws a right-facing Hackenkrauts, a broken cross, or, as it is better known, a spastica, directly on the table surface, grinning the whole time in a provocative fashion. You, of course, all recall that the Munich-based National Socialist Workers' Party uses a spastica as a symbol. but. If you roll me a no roll, I can give you a little bit more information. Okay. Um, see, at this time, <laughs> does this group of people have a reputation for being violent, or are they just dicks? Well, draw me that no roll, and I'll let you know what I can. I failed the no roll. I've got a hard success of 32. Okay. 52 under 70 over here, normal success. So you two both know that actually the Nationalist Socialist Workers' Party uses a version of the swastika that faces in the opposite direction to the one drawn here. Mm. So you don't quite know what they are. Is this being drawn on our table? Yeah, your table specifically. He's just staring at you and grinning and like with a sneer drawing a swastika on your table. Oh, I was going to make a snide remark about him not being able to even do it the right way round, but I'm not going to do that because <laughs> right there. So just going to be <laughs> leaning back and not making eye contact. So Max failed the role and so doesn't know that it's drawn the wrong way around or that, that these people are at it somehow. So... If these people are who Max thinks they are, are they dangerous? Or would Max be putting his head down? Or would they be like meeting them in the eye, I guess, is what I'm asking. I guess it depends on who you are. A lot of people are like, oh, they're just silly boys who don't know what they're doing. They're super annoying. I mean, if you're left wing, especially, they are like trash, but also they're just stupid little boys who are just making trouble for trouble's sake. Um, but of course other people might be like, oh, actually this is very concerning for me and I'm scared. It depends. 
I think when the person comes up to the table and is staring at us, that it the sort of opposite side of the table from Max, and so Max is just going to stare them in the eye and pour his drink, which is like like strong alcohol of some sort, over the top of the marking that they've made on the table, and then drop my cigarette onto it and let it light up. Oh shit! Nice. Wow. Damn. And. Andreas is impressed by this and I think he kind of sends a a little smile and a nod to to Max and uh, says to the guy on the whole I'd rather be eating lunch with Carl Grossman now fuck off from our table just gonna slide a knife casually off of the table real quick just stealthily. I'm not pulling a knife on the guy. I thought I you were dropping to... it on the ground. No. <laughs> Sliding it down. <laughs> I've been in too... Uh, Morris has been in too many street fights growing up. So he sees trouble brewing and he's a small man and he just wants to have a knife in his hand, that's all. I'm going to subtly place a plate over Sadie's kidney. <laughs> <laughs> Inside God. her mouth, down her throat, over, <laughs> over the kidney directly. Just protect you. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> I'm safe. <laughs> my weak point, my kidneys. <laughs> uh, Did we we cut all of that out at the start, right? The listeners didn't catch it. Okay, it's just completely nonsensical. They'll find out eventually. Just keep listening and, and you'll learn everything you need to know to get the jokes. Keep listening and wait for the, the mercury withdrawal to eventually catch up to her over years and years. Yeah. It affects her kidneys. <laughs> Well, this is a yeah. It's a really long joke. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the Svastika drawer, who doesn't look older than like 25, probably younger than that, early 20s, takes a step back when, when he sees the like what you've done with the alcohol, but then looks around, sees his comrades and empowered and or even excited to see your anger takes a step forward and I guess insults you Max what do you think would be an insult that would particularly get to Max I think this person's probably quite stupid so I think they probably mistake him for a gay man rather than a a trans or non-binary individual Uh, so uh, being very homophobic, which should be expected from a young anti-Semite right-wing man. He says, I bet you'd like some of this, huh, you poof. I bet you like all the young boys like me. And he grabs the glass and he smashes it on the ground while doing a little dance. And then just like getting you, like trying to get you to get up and fight him. Mm. You can see in other tables, it's almost as if they're like broken up the group and going to individual ta- tables, trying to get everyone riled up. And it is working. You, c- you can hear the kind of volume rising from the insults and the shouting. And it's kind of reaching a crescendo. What are the cafe staff doing at this point? Some of them are not getting involved. Other ones are also shouting and telling them to get out. The man in the middle with a riding crop. I actually have a little, um, a little NPC portrait for that guy. Man with a riding crop, who is kind of a pudgy, smartly dressed man of middling height, wearing kind of a 
a similar uniform to everyone else in this occasion, even though it's it's a different attire in the NPC portrait. Uh, carrying his leather riding crop and having a broom handle moustache and carefully coiffed hair, he looks around and is kind of hyping his people up, giving them strength, arguing with the staff. You can see he's kind of the leader and he's stopping the staff from doing much. So I think that Max's first instinct would be to flip the table and go for it with this guy but I think that Max is also very protective of Sadie and Gerda would kill me if I let anything happen to Sadie and so I think that that instinct would probably stay my hand so yeah I think if you if she noticed your like fist clenching or something her hand would travel along the table and then just hold onto your hand and she'd smile at you if you looked over at her well, with footwork like that, young man, I think you would do well at my club. Perhaps you could drop by one day. And that's, before he gets a chance to answer, almost as if reading your mind, someone at a nearby table flips it. And then a fight <laughs> ensues. People throwing punches at the young paramilitary members and others, many, many running away and trying to exit the club as soon as the ruckus starts. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of violence starts, starts occurring and you kind of, you know, uh, glasses fly over your heads as uh, you are caught in it at the moment. Max is going to jump up immediately and allow the table to flip over for a little bit of protection, but whirl round in front of Sadie so that, that my back is protecting Sadie from what's going on and I'm going to start trying to guide her away. Okay. Um, let's go into initiative order. Why not? See what happens. Just so that we have everything kind of more easy to arrange. We have some high dexterity skills here. We do. We do. Not here, you don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... Andreas, what do you do? Andreas knows that the sensible thing would be to leave, to just help usher everybody out. And I think in the long term, that's kind of his plan. But he's a simple man in some ways. He sees a fascist, he punches. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I think he's, he's going to try and help to start clearing a path them to all get out she's kind of uh, looking around and if anybody comes within distance of his arms he's definitely going to either throw a punch or headbutt depending on how close they are okay right, so you're coming out from behind the table yeah kind of with the the door of the cafe in front of him so he's kind of almost trying to clear a way through okay so as you come through you see that same man from before, uh, the young man that drew the spastica, and he's ready for a fight. Okay. He's looking quite muscular as well. It's a bit intimidating. All right. Is he coming? Does it look like he's coming in for a fight, or he's kind of waiting for you? He's just okay. blocking your way and smiling at you, in, in incitingly. 
Well, in that case, Andreas returns that smile, and it is a very cold and unpleasant smile, and he punches. Okay, first punch of the game. Well, hey. Uh, Let's go. Uh, now, hey, I have roll 40, so it's, it's okay. It's so, not brilliant. Okay, and he's going to fight back. Ooh, failed. Ooh, well, I have succeeded. 24, Woo-hoo. which is four points off a hard pass. It's very early to be spending luck, isn't it? But I kind of want to. I don't think it wouldn't get you anything. Okay. <laughs> well, it would just be flavor. Just for fun. <laughs> just, <laughs> just spending just for that luck because you have so much of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, is there a better thing to spend luck on other than <laughs> punching Nazis? If there is, I haven't found it. Good point. <laughs> Roll your damage. Okay. Uh, what have I got for damage? Just 1d3 standard. Oh, okay. Well, I rolled a 3 then. So that's 2 damage. It's been quite some time since I punched anybody <laughs> in this game. Yeah. Okay, so you punch him and he's taken aback. He's clearly quite, quite a meaty boy. Um, so he takes a step back and he kind of wipes a little bit of blood from his nose and he looks at you and suddenly his smile fades into like just a fiery full of adrenaline glare and uh, it's Moritz's turn okay well this guy's between us and our exit so Moritz normally uh, would think of this as a fight that we're not in a position to win so escape is paramount but he's in the way there's a knife in my hand um and he's distracted, and therefore outnumbered. Um, I'd like to rush him. <laughs> I'm a small guy. I'm gonna crouch down a bit, just rush in there, swing an arm in, and I wanna try and knife him in the dick. Knife him in the dick? If possible. <laughs> yes, level up. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> oh my goodness, with the table knife. I am not trying to one-up anybody, I just want to make that clear. Just go straight for the dick. <laughs> but... Butter knife him. Yeah, exactly. Butter knife him in the dick. Alright, is that what I'm hearing? Okay. I don't... Sounds I'm not going to be able to do much else with this butter knife. I just, you know, I want him down on the ground so we can jump over him and make our escape. If only we'd ordered steak. You get a bonus die because of outnumbered. Yes. And uh, he's going to try and kick you as you try to go for his crotch. Is he able to fight back even though he's outnumbered? Yeah. You just get a bonus die. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah. I thought you could, uh, yeah, fair enough, okay. Take your word for it. He's not having a good day. <laughs> Uh, I came in at 63 and 43, which is below 45 for my brawl, so I succeed. He failed abysmally. He has a 17, he's rolled 76 oh and 80. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he gets. So, I guess he gets butter knifed in the dick, everyone. Nice. Thank you for being here. Oh my god. Uh, we know who re- the real uh, sausage menace is here. <laughs> it is a butter knife. So I think it's probably yeah. more of a really painful poke rather than a proper stab. Yeah. That you didn't impale. My goal here isn't to like do a ton of hit point damage and kill Just him. Just knock him over. My goal is for him to be like a curled up ball of pain that we can ignore and run away from. Everyone, what are the stats for a butter knife? 
<laughs> a small knife is normally 1d4. <laughs> but it's not sharp. But it is in the dick. It's <laughs> <laughs> extra dick points. <laughs> Does it count as a blunt object, maybe? Uh, could I mean a small kosh is also also one d four, so they're all in that same way. A punch is one d three. Okay. This would be a bit up from a punch, surely. So I guess because of the surface area issue. Yeah, exactly. Fine, roll it. Also, can butter knife in the dick be the episode title? <laughs> I think it probably <laughs> yes. will censor us on every platform. Is the problem? Yeah. Well, that's the real episode title, everybody. That's the head canon title. Maybe In change it to crotch. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. should be safe enough. Maybe, maybe. Groin. <laughs> Butter knife to the groin. All right. Let's, let's do this incredible 1d4. Minus one damage, because I'm only a small guy, so my damage bonus comes uh, into the negative, unfortunately. My build is minus one. He has a damage modifier of 1d3 plus 1d4. But he cannot get any damage done. Damn right. I rolled a four, so minus one, that's three damage. Straight to the D zone. He falls down in agony and (laughs) is very unhappy about this. I spit on him. (laughs) Learn to draw, you pig. (laughs) And you can see kind of like a tear fall from his eyes as he's just blinking wildly and making kind of feral noises. The man with the riding crop looks at him and then looks around and uh, Sadina, is your turn. Yay. Uh, Sadie will, since Max is in front of her, just whisper into his ear saying, or into their ear, sorry, saying, um, Max, uh, Please be careful. And then she'll give Max a kiss on the cheek and then we'll attempt to make her way to the exit. Now this person's been knocked down ahead of them. Over him. Step over him. Yeah, I guess so. With his turn, he kind of struggles his way up and then reaches for his pocket <laughs> rich for his dick to say it's, to check it still works um, is it still attached <laughs> reaches for his pocket but before he does anything you hear in the distance police whistles sound the pudgy man pulls out his riding whip and wades into the crowd he shouts for calm and order and all of his lackeys turn around and walk out The confrontation ends as quickly as it began and things, you know, start going back to normal. The cafe waiters glumly sweeping up the shattered cups and saucers. Overall, just another day in Berlin. Is this what we're used to? (laughs) My gosh. (laughs) This brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much, everyone. Brayden, Lydia, Hal, Jillian, of course, our amazing co-editor, Jason, you've all been the best. And a big, massive thank you to our listeners. You're all exceptional. Your listens, comments, and ratings are incredibly helpful. But if you want a way to support us further, please consider joining us over on patreon.com forward slash right, where you get access to episodes a week early. And don't forget, you can get 10% off on chaosium.com and fun roll dice using code STARS10, one use per customer only. We'll be back shortly to record Beyond the Madness for our cult elder and avatar tier patrons. They get access to behind-the-scenes discussion after every episode, as well as bonus episodes, exclusive Discord channels, and more. 
Speaking of Discord, you can find an invite link to our Discord community as well as all of our social media links on our website at starsarai.com and in the description of this episode. Come join us. Now, farewell, dear listeners, until the stars are right again. But wait, what's that? Our cult has inducted a new member? Welcome, Butcher Rodenberger, and thank you for your support on Patreon. May the omens be ever in your favour. Your support means the world to us. Let's feel that love by reading out one of our latest reviews. If you'd like your own review read out on the show, go to starsarewrite.com reviews, where you can find links to all the platforms you can rate us on. Spectre86 said, Absolutely wonderful. I can't say how amazing this actual play is. The energy going into it is apparent by the players. While a little slow to coalesce as a party and story to find a track, it quickly comes together and becomes something dark, heartbreaking and special. 10 out of 10.